0: Welcome to the OVC Extra Podcast. I am Kyle Schwartz, Assistant Commissioner for Strategic Communications at the Ohio Valley Conference. If you want to catch up on previous episodes, you can find us wherever you download your podcast with complete information at ovcsports.com podcast. This episode features 2021-22 OVC Hall of Fame inductee Cindy Gannon and is part of our 75th anniversary podcast series. Gannon served Southeast Missouri for over 30 years, including 16 years as head volleyball coach and an additional 14 years as the department's Senior Associate Director of Athletics. Her teams had success both on the field and in the classroom, and she also left a lasting mark with a pair of legacy programs she organized that have continued to reach new heights even after her retirement. Now, my conversation with Cindy Gannon. Well, Cindy, thanks for taking time to join us on the uh, OVC podcast.
1: Oh, you're, you're very welcome.
0: Well, I we most recently saw you at the OVC uh, honors brunch in uh, early June, and you were the uh, 93rd member of the OVC Hall of Fame. So, first off, just congratulations on that. But what's it like, you know, to be voted by peer institutions in, in the league that you know you're one of only 93 people in the history of the league to be a, a Hall of Famer?
1: Well, you know, honestly, I I didn't know that until I got to the Hall of Fame, and um, whenever I was being introduced, and they said the 93rd person, and I. Boy, I tell you, it was already a very humbling, I mean, very humbling uh, experience for me. But man, to hear that number, and and that's old as the LVC is, I mean, you know, historically, I mean, I think I founded, what, 1948 or something? Um, so, and I know the Hall of Fame started quite later, but it's still just, I, I'm still just kind of in shock um, and just humbled that I had the opportunity to even be included with such a, a, a historical group of people that have contributed tremendously to the, to the history and tradition of the OVC.
0: Well, one of the things I think that we're doing a better job of recently is getting uh, females in the OVC hall of fame. There's been a scattering over the years, but you know, four of the last six, uh, inductees have been females and you were also part of our 50th anniversary of title IX celebration and, and honored, uh, during our meetings in Nashville. I want to start with that. Tell, tell us what it's, you know, what title nine did maybe to open doors for you, uh, to be a pioneer and end up being a, a coach.
1: Well, you know, I was, I was in one of the, like the beginning stages of title. Nine. I graduated from high school in 1980. And so when I went to college, I had the opportunity to go to a, a junior college and play basketball on scholarship, um, which at that time, you know, was, was really pretty rare. I mean, scholarships were just starting to be uh, given out to women. And, and to me, you know, it's just been amazing to me to see the evolution of, of Title IX and the impact that it has had on our women, and you know there are true pioneers, and I, I, I don't know, I, I think of other women um, that came before me that were true pioneers. I hope that I carried the torch, uh, but not nearly as well as they did, because I'm telling you, there were women who lived lived for this, and you know when they started. Um, the AIAW and, and those kind of things that happened, I mean, those women were true pioneers, but um, I'm just so happy to see that women are getting the opportunity, you know, with all the changes that are happening in the NCAA, I hope there's a lot of people that are still keeping an eye on, on Title IX and making sure that we maintain the integrity of women's athletics and give our still continue to give our women an opportunity um, to compete at the highest level. You know, it's, it's gotten a lot of uh, attention here lately and um, I just think that I hope that like I said I hope there's people out there and as including myself that are having conversations to say hey we need to continue to to improve we need to continue to uh, financially support we need to continue to get our women out in the public so people know them and um, they just continue to compete because I think it's really changed the landscape for women not only in athletics but in the workforce and all, all across the board.
0: Well, I would assume and think that the, the number of lives you touched as a, as a coach and an administrator um, that kind of continues in that process, even though there were people before you, you played a significant part in that. So I want to ask you as being, you know, you graduated from SEMO, you got your master's, you coached there. Wh- how did you end up at SEMO then uh, to start?
1: Well, it was interesting because, you know, <laughs> you, your path is guided by, and my, my path in life has been guided by, you know, just my spiritual trust in that, um, you know, God's going to guide me down the right path. And, you know, I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, But back in the day, I mean, you were either a nurse, a teacher, or you got married, you're a housewife. So, you know, those are your three choices. And and some women obviously ventured out into other areas. But I was from a very small school from DeSoto, Missouri, about 100 miles north of Cape Girardeau. I went to a junior college, played basketball for two years, and then um, just decided to, to come to SEMO, get my degree. And then I was just going to go back home and I was going to teach, um, physical education at my high school. And if I could find a job and that was my pretty much my goal, um, I got to SEMO and, um, tried out for the volleyball team, uh, cause I played volleyball in high school and, um, I made the team as a walk-on and, um, and then I, I got an injury. So I, uh, The coach at the time was Lana Richmond, and um, she said, hey, why don't you stay on and and be the student manager and help out? And I said, sure. I mean, because I was I was going to school and I needed something to do anyway. So I said, sure, I'll do that. So I did. And um, then it just kind of evolved. And then there was a graduate assistantship. And so I was a graduate assistant for two years. Um, under Lana and um, I mean I owe Lana a lot of credit I mean she she really helped me get my my start um, and was really always in my corner trying to help me get a job um, get jobs so whenever we um, let's see I graduated with my master's in 87 and then I uh, they had an assistant job because Lana at the time was coaching softball and volleyball so they hired her uh, they hired me as an assistant to help her uh, so I helped her in volleyball and softball. And then um, the SEMO announced their move, or, you know, they made their move to division one or their request for moving to division one in 19, I think it was the 89. It was somewhere in that time they started the process. Well, so the OVC accepted SEMO in 1991 was going to be the first year for SEMO uh, to participate in the OVC. So um, I ended up, with uh let's see in 1980 in 1990 um I actually they split the jobs and I actually was going to be the head softball coach and Lana was going to be the head volleyball coach and um and the reason was is because Lana was the more that uh, they the more the tenured coach and I was the new coach and so the OBC did not have softball at that time so Timo wasn't even sure if they were going to keep softball if the OBC didn't add it so we got a new ad rich mcduffie came in in the fall of 1990 and he said right before volleyball season started he pulled lan and i in. he said looked at me and he said do you want to be the softball coach and i said or do you want to be the volleyball coach and i said Yes. And Lana's, he he looked at Lana and he said, do you want to be the softball coach? And Lana said, yes. So he said, done. So he switched us right there, right before the volleyball season. So that's kind of how it all started. I I was coached division two for one year and we ended up uh, having a really good year because we had upped our scholarships to go division one. So we actually, for the first time in the history of the program, made made the national tournament, um, at division two, which actually, I think every one of the women's teams at SEMO that year made the division two nationals Wow! Beca- because of the boost that we got from scholarships. And uh, I think Lana made to, to the final four and, uh, women's basketball. We hosted the final four here, um, that one of those years, I don't know if that, but anyway, long story short, I ended up just being here, but it was a great opportunity and I got to be the volleyball coach, Um, you know, and, and was very, very thankful that the university was very supportive of uh, my program and giving me the opportunity to have some success. And, you know, along the road, Kyle, I've had people often ask me, why, why did you stay? And I said, you know, I I had other opportunities, but you know, this was just home and it was my brothers both went to college here. So they got to live with me and my mom, you know, and my mom was ill for a long, a while. And I was close enough that I could go home anytime. And I just, I never felt like, I always felt like God was just drawing me and saying, you know what, if you're, if you're, the grass is not always greener, Stay here, do good things and, you know, just just be com- comfortable where you are, because I think, you know, right today, especially today, I think people just you know, I, I say chase it, you know, if they just go because they think it, it's better. And, you know, I, I don't know if it ever is better. I mean, I think you got to make where you are better.
0: And I think that obviously worked out for Coach Richmond, too, who went on to be very successful with the CMO softball team. I did not know that story. That is um, – things just work out as they're supposed to be, I guess.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, that's that's the same thing that happened when I decided to quit coaching. I mean, I just – it was a God moment. And I just said, I either have to leave here or and coach someplace else, or I have to quit coaching. Because, you know, you hit a point. It's hard, and I admire these coaches who have – long, long winning, I mean, years and years. I mean, I had one decade, there's coaches out there who have had several decades, but it's very difficult to keep a team on top. Um, it, it just takes a lot of, um, I mean, your perseverance and, and you, you know, you just can't take anything for granted whenever you you, you have a successful program. And, um, and not that I did, but, you know, I just saw it, it, my energy was a little bit, slowing down. And then, you know, I thought, you know, it's time to pass the reins over to somebody else. And I'm going to ask if I can be, I mean, I'm going to go in and talk to Don Kaverman and I'm just going to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to resign. And <laughs> as the volleyball coach, and uh, I did that right. Like at the beginning of the season, which was probably really not a smart thing to do because I balled through every national anthem. I stood in every gym and I'm thinking all this nostalgia and, you know, and the kids are like, coach, what's wrong with you? I'm like, Oh, nothing. Everything's fine. Um, but you know, at the end of the season, I, I, did resign as the volleyball coach. And then Don uh, did come back and um, offer me the, well, I was already the senior women administrator because Lana had resigned from that. So I was doing a dual role. And anybody who's done a dual role realizes how extremely difficult it is. And I know a lot of people in the OVC did it for years, um, but I'm an all or none. And so, you know, when a coach needed me and I was in practice, I would be torn because I knew the coach really needed me, but I knew my team needed me. So it, it's a difficult role to do be an administrator and a coach at the same time. Um, so I was fortunate that the university had enough confidence in me and allowed me to uh, move into administration full-time uh, as the SWA and then as the Senior Associate Athletic Director.
0: Well, I'm going to ask you a little bit more of that in a second, but I wanted to ask, so you said you only did the one-year Division two. Is that, so did, when you were making the move to division one, you probably didn't know much of the differences. Was that challenging though? Like if you would have coached division two for five or six years and then moved to division one, you think maybe that would have been harder? Um,
1: you know, I don't know the answer to that because you know, when we actually, I think I might have coached two years. I think I did 89 and 90. I think I did two years as the head coach at division two, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's much difference. I mean, it was different as far as scheduling, Um, you know, just some things and and the recruiting and looking at different level players. And, you know, yes, there were a lot of changes, but I think, you know, volleyball or basketball, you know, fundamentally, I think they're all the same. You know, there is a lot of similarities it's just the level of student athlete that you're capable of getting when you move to that next level. And, you know, some, some, stu- you know, you, you'll go to a, a a court and a volleyball court in a tournament and you'll look and see who's standing at the court and you'll go, nah, this is not going to be my, my recruit. So you got to go to another court, you know? So, and I know the dynamics have changed with the portal and all the things that are going on, but you know, back in my day, you, you pretty much, you know, you would get lucky. And I, I was very, very fortunate to have, some players that were from uh, like Southern Illinois and they had very successful high school programs and they had, they had uh, teammates that had gone. I mean, I got a kid from uh, a young lady from uh, Clemson. She was a fab 50 recruit and she went to Clemson and had a horrible experience and her best friend was my setter. And she said, Hey, Leah's going to come next year. I said, are you kidding me? (laughs) Of course she can come. Um, but you know, I had my, my, my athletes were probably my best recruiters. Um, and a lot of, I was just fortunate, like I said, to get a lot of transfers because my players were having good experiences and they told them, they said, Hey, come to CMO. You're going to have a great experience. You're going to win. Um, and it's going to be fun. So I just was blessed in, in a lot of ways.
0: Well, you referenced there one of, you know, one of the teams in your history, you, you had some, some NCAA success, but you know, in Valpo in 96 and you beat North Carolina in 2000. And for those listening, that's where I got my start in athletics was working at Semo in 2000. So I was uh, at CMO when you all beat that talk about those NCAA tournament wins and, and just uh, what, you know, what that kind of did for the, the level of your program and to raise the, the awareness of, you know, how good your program was.
1: Well, I, you know, the first year that the NCAA had what was called a play in. So if you won your conference, then you were matched with another conference. And uh, so we were matched with uh, the conferences have changed so much now, whatever Valpo was in at the time. Um, and that was, uh, I think that was in 90. Let's see. Cause we went to the NCAA. Yeah, we did the play. We lost the play in that year at Valpo. Um, but, you know, again, my players had never been in that type of a situation. Um, and then the next year we had hosted the play in here and then we won that. So we got to go to the NCAA tournament and we went to, it was so funny. We went to USC cause back in those days, they didn't have the regional, you know, they didn't try to regionally pod people. They just sent you wherever they wanted to send you. So we went to, uh, let's see, USC and, um, you know, we just got killed. I think we still have some records of the, like, not scoring any points or something. I don't know. We were in the bad, bad category of the records, but um, you know, my players were just so overwhelmed and they were so big and they were just, um, but you know what? I told them, I said, you represented SEMO. You got to go to a national tournament. You'll always be able to tell people you played in the NCAA tournament. So we always tried to make the positive as it as, 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 mo- as positive as we could Given the fact that, you know, the likelihood of you beating a one seed as a 16 seed doesn't happen in volleyball. Now, basketball. Yeah, it does happen. I But I don't think in the history of volleyball. I don't know. I have to go back and look, but I don't think a 16 seed has ever beaten a number one seed in the NCAA volleyball tournament. Um, But it was a good experience. And, you know, and then we had an opportunity to go. Um, let's see. Well, our, we went to Stanford and, you know, we took a, a set off of off of Stanford. And uh, the coach at the time was Don Shaw, and you know, he came up to me, and he goes, Cindy, this was not supposed to be this was supposed to be just, you know, one of the one 15 seeds. And he said, man, you, you know, you had some great players and, and, you know, Carrie Walsh is that, well, she played on the beach tour for a long time and in, in the Olympics. And, you know, she's so classy. She came in, she knocked on the door and asked me if she could come into the locker room. Cause we were in our cool down period. I said, sure. And she came in and she looked at my team and she goes, you guys are awesome. And I mean, my kid, you know, when I talk to my players, they bring that up. They still bring that up. I mean, there was just a, it was a great experience and that's what it's supposed to be about. Um, You know, and and we went to Florida in 2000 and we beat uh, North Carolina. I mean, I, I, you know, North Carolina was, took SEMO for granted and my kids were, they were, they were really upset. They go "Coaster over there eating Skittles and laughing. I said, you know what? Quit looking across the court. Just let's warm up. Let's just play volleyball. So I just tried to get them focused and, you know, that was the biggest, I think that was the highlight of my, one of the highlights of my career. And I know it was the highlights of, of a lot of my players because, you know, they came back to some of my retirement parties and things like that. And they, um, you know, when they were talking, that's what they talked about is getting the opportunity to say, we made the top 36 teams in the country in 2000 when I played volleyball at SEMO. So that's, that's pretty cool.
0: And we could spend all day reading numbers about players of the year, all conference, all those accolades, but I know something you're you're proud of is all the on six on the court success you've had, just the, the academic success your teams had, the giving back to the community, just the relationships your teams had that way. Can you talk a little bit about that and just the, the stuff that was bigger than just the athletic side of uh, being a student athlete?
1: Well, you know, I, I have got, uh you know I keep in touch with most of my my former student athletes you know when they've got something big happening in their lives they usually send me a message or Facebook me and we've got a little group me that goes around and you know <clears throat> I'll tell you they're all just amazing women. Um, they are doing so many cool things and 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 I'm just so thankful to get to see and still be a part of that, that they, they want to include me in that. And, and, uh, you know, I had one of my, one of my student athletes, she's in Chicago. She was the first female vice president for the federal reserve, I think. And, um, she called me when she got the job and she said, coach, I got the job. I said, Oh, that is so great. And she said, do you want to know why I got the job? And I said, well, she goes, you know why I think I got the job. And I said, um, you tell me, she said, because when I went in there, they they asked me, what are you going to bring to this job? And she said, I'm going to bring accountability for myself and for the people I work with. And she said, because coach, that's what you always told us every day. You never let us forget to be accountable and accountable for each other. And she said, I really think that's why I got the job. And I said, well, that's pretty cool. I'm glad to hear that.
0: And, you know, that I'm sure there's lots of stories like that and the impact you've had on people. Um, and you, you could spend all day talking about that, but that obviously has to make you feel good when they call you and, and share their life successes with you.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I'm just so amazed. There are so many of them that are still coaching volleyball. They're coaching their daughters. They're coaching their sons. And, I mean, and whenever they're on tele, you know, televised, some of the state tournaments, they always send the link out and everybody watches. So they're giving back to the sport you know, I hope, I, I hope their experience at SEMA when, with our involvement in, you know, like pink up and walk for women. Um, I, and I, I feel like that they are engaging in their communities because they tell me some of the things, one of my former, uh, student athletes is coaching volleyball in, in, um, Michigan and, um, her, well, actually it's, um, it was Krista Davis. It's Keno Davis's He's at Central Michigan University, and she's coaching high school there. And um, she ended up starting the Dig for Life there, and has continued to do it. And they actually, there was a woman in their community that they actually dedicated it to. And so, you know, that makes me feel good to know that something they did here made an impact on them. To say, hey, I want to, I want to pay it forward. I want to give it back to somebody else. And, and you know, that's really what it's all about. It's about be being a better person. Being, you know, giving and being just thinking about outside your world and giving back to the to the community and to to, to people.
0: And I'm going to ask you about both of those initiatives uh, before we end. But I I want to I want to ask I want to ask you about the administrative side because you mentioned that and I'm sure you impact a lot of people that way. Probably a little differently than you did as a head coach. But what did you like when you when you trans- transitioned out of coaching? What did you like about your uh, administrator role?
1: Well, I think it was for me, um, I always wanted to consider myself, um, a a fact finder as an administrator, meaning, you know, you're going to have your coaches need someone in their corner. And when you coach, you understand that, but the student athletes need someone in their corner as well. So you really have to walk a really thin line. And, you know, if a coach has something that they have an issue with, you really got to do your due diligence and look at the big picture, not just knee-jerk reaction and say, oh, well, you know, Johnny's not doing what he's supposed to do, so I'm going to let the coach kick him off. You know, and and normally, and, and nine times out of ten, I always trusted that my coaches were making the right decision, but I always felt like it was my obligation to make sure that, that I looked at everything and made sure we were making the best decision for their program, for them, and for the student-athlete. And so, you know, I, I enjoyed – trying to build those relationships with your coaches and building that trust, knowing that I had one of my mentors, uh, that was at CMO forever. And, you know, I'd have lunch with her and she when I became an administrator, she said, Cindy, she said, try to say yes, as much as you can, because when you say no, your coaches will know that you have investigated every opportunity and that's why you said no. So I always tried to take that approach when a coach had a request or they wanted, needed something, you know, we would look at it and see if there was any way we could get it done. And, and if I said, you know, we just can't do it. And, I, you know, they were disappointed, but they knew that I had been fighting for them all the way down the road, trying to see if we could make it happen. Um, you know, and, and at, at our level and at every level, you know, you can't always say yes. There's things you just cannot do at, at the mid-major that, you know, you, and your kids see all the, the top schools doing it and you want to do it. But, you know, you just have to figure out, you know, sometimes, you you know, you can't live on a, a champagne budget. You know, when, you got a, when you've got a beer budget, you can't drink champagne. And that's the bottom line is that we just had to figure out how could we, you know, take our lemons and make the best lemonade we can and, and make our kids have a good, help our kids have a good experience and leave here feeling good about the fact they got to play um, for SEMO.
0: Well, uh, two of the things you referenced earlier, and I, you told a funny story about this in Nashville in June, but the annual Walk for Women—you started that to help, you know, raise money for women's athletics, and now it's called the Cindy Gannon uh, Walk for Women because it's been so successful. So, just how did that idea come about? And I know you got some resistance on whether it would work or not, but it's still going on now, obviously. And and the program's raised a lot of money. Can you tell our listeners just about that initiative?
1: Well, there was a group of women or two women that, that were going around. They had a consulting firm and I had a speaker that came on campus. Um, Janet judge came on campus and spoke to our student athletes and we had gone to dinner and she said, you know, I've got these two gals that are doing that starting this consulting group and they're doing this walk or women's walk. And I said, well, tell me more about it. So she, she told me more. And so I reached out to them and visited with them and, and uh, it was uh, Rosie Stallman and Sherry Beckenberg. Sherry was the uh, administrator at Nebraska Omaha, and Rosie was with the NCAA until they left Kansas City, and then she went into some other initiatives. But, um, you know, they they talked to me, and it was, I think it was like $10,000, and back at 15 years ago, but $10,000 was (laughs) huge. And so I went to the booster board at the time, which now is the Red Hawks club. And I, I did a PowerPoint presentation and I just told them, I said, you know, these are the reasons we need to do this. And, um, so I had one of the gentlemen on the booster. I had two women and one man on the booster club said, uh, we're doing it. And I, I said, I mean, because the athletic director at the time didn't think it was a good idea. Didn't think it was a good way to spend $10,000 of booster money. And I said, we will make this work. I promise you, we will make this work. And so they came on campus and they gave me the template um, on just step by step. How do you start it? And who do you get involved? And, you know, I had a woman here in town. She was on the Board of Regents for a few, several years. And she was very influential in the community. And I called her and I said, hey, can we go to lunch? And uh, she said, sure. And um, her name was Kim Mothershead. And she, we went to lunch and I, sat there i'll never forget where we were and what we ate and everything about the day but i said i can i need you and this is what i need and she said well, let's do it and I, kim has passed away since uh, she passed away several years ago from cancer but man i tell you we even have the kim mothershead award for the team that raises the most money at the walk and so you know part of that walk is There's several layers to it. One obviously is to raise money for scholarships and it's raised over a half million dollars so that it's done its job there. So we've well gone beyond the 10,000 that the booster club invested in the walk. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it, it does so many things. It gives us a day to celebrate women's athletics, which, you know, I know there's a girls in sports days and, you know, women in sports days and blah, 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 but this is just for SEMO women. And, you know, they get to be the highlight and we do, you know, they get to do commercials. They get to do, uh, they did some podcasts this year, you know, just, so just promoting the the walk and promoting their sport and promoting themselves, and I I just can't believe how the you know this community has embraced. Um, you know we they create we create teams and there's competition, and you know it's a thirty minute walk, but the the impact that that has, and our student athletes. You know, people know them, they they talk to them, they go into after the game, they'll walk up and say, hey, Susie, how you doing, you know, blah, blah, and it's not just a roster number that you're seeing on, you know, maybe you'll get to meet him if that coach is proactive in getting people out in the community, but, you know, this just helps the coaches get their programs out there. And they, you know, there's a lot of people that migrate to women's basketball over this. That's great. You know, some people have really migrated to softball because they've become interested in the softball team. So it's really just another branch and another opportunity. Um, And then, you know, the scholarships go to men and women. I, I didn't feel like, I didn't want to isolate our men either because our men's programs are very, very important. And so I thought, you know, I think it's important that we just put the money into endowments and then we give it to people that need it. And that that's kind of where it's been. It's, it's not just women that get the money. Um, I started it that way, but I thought about, it and I thought, you know, that that's not the way I want it. I, that's not the way we want to do it. We want to help our student athletes. So it's helping student athletes and celebrating women and, um, and their accomplishments and what they provide uh, for the university and for the athletics.
0: Well, the other thing you, that you helped start and you mentioned your mom, and I know she was an inspiration for this was, was dig for life and it's now known as pink up, but it's, it's a fundraiser that helps, you know, raise awareness, uh, about cancer and provide mammograms in the Cape Girardeau community. And it's gone beyond that. Can you tell the listeners about, you know, that and how that started and now it's going strong 20 plus years later too.
1: Yeah. Well, my mom died of breast cancer in 2000, um, and so when that happened, you know, as you're watching your parent go through that, you're thinking, man, what can I do so that no, maybe, hopefully, hopefully, no one else will have to go through this. So, you know, just brainstorming and, you know, and, and you, you look at and there's, you know, there's all kinds of um, Susan Coleman's and blah, blah, blah. But all that money has to go to their organization. You can't just raise money and for that cause and then give it to whomever you choose. So I approached one of the local hospitals. I had a physician friend and I was talking to her about it. She said, Hey, go make a meeting with, you know, these folks at, at uh, St. Francis health center, health, uh, St. Francis uh, medical center. And I said, okay. So I made a meeting with them and I went in and I gave them my pitch and I, the marketing and the the CEO and the marketing person at St. Francis. And I sat down, I just told them my whole deal and, uh, about a week later I get a call and, um, they've already got like logo designs and they've got, I mean, they, they just had all this marketing plan and they were just ready to go. And so, uh, and again, I think it was just a God moment, right time, right people, right, everything. So we started dig for life and, um, you know, then the high schools are in the area, they still do it. They have a dig for life a tournament in the fall that raises money for it. And, and St. Francis has taken it beyond and to the next level. And they now do uh, the four big, can- I think it's lung, prostate, um, uh, blah, blah. there's four cancers that they cover. And so they, they've kind of uh, assisted a lot of people in screenings, but, you know, initially it was just breast cancer screenings. If someone called and said they didn't have insurance, they would give them, give them, um, a mammogram. And the last I checked when this program started in 2000, the doctors, the radiologists, and the people that were reading all this and doing the mammograms committed to doing a $100 mammogram. And as of, I think maybe five years ago, which would have been 15 years, they were still doing those mammograms for $100 for women that did not have insurance. And then if they had something, then, you know, if they did find something, they would put them in another program that they have developed. But I mean, I think the mammograms provided are like over 5,000. I mean, it's, it's wow. crazy. Yeah.
0: That is a, and that's a lasting impact that obviously your career is over. Now you're retired. That that still lives on. That is uh that is just tremendous. I, I did want to ask you that, you know, this is the OVC 75th anniversary coming up. So from the time you enrolled as a student at CMO and then, you know, became a coach and then an administrator, how maybe the OVC or college athletes a little bit in general, how did you see, what are the biggest changes maybe you saw during your tenure?
1: Well, I think for me as a coach in watching the OVC is that volleyball has, I mean, the volleyball has changed so much and for the, for the better, you know, I remember the first time I went to an OVC volleyball meeting, I knew one, I I knew one coach, the Murray coach, because we had played them, and uh, I didn't know anybody else. And all of a sudden, they pull out these paper calendars and they start making their own schedule. And I'm going, whoa, what are we doing here? And so <laughs> that was a terrible schedule that year for Zemo because I had no idea. You know, I didn't know where anything was. So, you know, I might have traveled from Tennessee Tech to Tennessee State in the same day. I don't know. I mean, it was just one of those things. Um, so to see the evolution of volleyball in particular and women's sports in the OVC has been, it's just been a, gr- a wonderful seeing that overall. And, you know, and and NCAA, the the dynamics of it has changed so much. But the one thing that I like, I respect about the OVC is that they've always continued to try to maintain their integrity. You know, and it's disappointing that there's some movement with some schools, because I think there was so much history between some of those schools, but you know, everybody makes their decision based on what they need financially or what they feel like they need. And, and so obviously those schools have had, you know, well-thought through this decision, but I'm hopeful that the new members will help us continue to keep the OVC the integrity of the OVC, because I meant that when I said it at the OV, at the Hall of Fame, you know, we we as administrators, we as coaches, we 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 compete fiercely on the court, on the field, you know whenever we're competing against each other. But, boy, the OVC people were best, the best people I ever worked with, because there was never a day I couldn't call someone if I needed something and say, hey, you know, I mean, we'd go recruiting and, you know, we'd share rooms. Because we'd save money. I mean, how many schools share, share, share a room with your competitors, but, you know, but we always, we always tried to take care of one another and, and, and uh, yeah, it just, it was a very, very good experience for me being involved in the OVC.
0: Well, I want to end with this question, and I joked with you that you know people retire, but then they don't really retire, or you retire from one job to another. So <laughs> now you're the assistant general manager for the Cape Catfish, a Prospect League baseball team. There, so when you finished your administrative career, how did this uh, new chapter of your uh, professional career take place?
1: Well, uh, Mark Hogan is the long been was the baseball coach at Semo forever, and. He and I had offices next to each other, and, and and when I was an administrator, he actually reported to me. So we have a long-standing friendship. And when he retired, we continue to to go out and have lunch or have a beer or just you know get out, go out and catch up. And we always talked about when I retired. He said we need to do something together, and I said, well, you know, sure. Well, I'll, yeah, we'll we'll think about it. So I announced my retirement, and uh, I retired July one of eighteen. So um, there was a local hospital here that had they have a nursing school and they contacted me and they wanted to know if I wanted to to um, interview for their recruiter for their nursing school. And I thought, well, surely I can do that. I can recruit. You know, I was not really ready to fully retire. And I thought I can do that. So it's just another God thing because Mark calls me, I interview on Thursday. The guy tells me he's going to call me on Friday. So I'm Mark, Mark calls on Friday and says, Hey, let's go to lunch. So, okay. So I'm at lunch and I keep looking at my phone and Mark goes, what are you doing? I said, well, this guy is supposed to call me about this job. And he said, put your phone down. He goes, we got to talk. And so he pulled out this big folder of stuff. And um, you know, there was a guy in town here that bought a franchise And I knew about it. Then they named it and they let the community name it. So I knew that I knew there was a Cape Catfish and I knew Mark was was involved with it. But I never thought I would be involved. And he said, I want you to be the assistant general manager of the catfish. I said, we don't have a baseball. We don't have a bat. We don't have an office. We don't have anything. He said, exactly. He said, "Uh, let's do it. He goes, come on, let's do it. So, um, I thought about it and then I, so I called the guy at the, at the, um, I, I thought about over the weekend. So I called Mark and I said, okay, I'm in. And I, so I called the guy at the, the other guy and I said, Hey, I, you know, by the way, I'm, I'm just going to withdraw my name He goes, Oh man, he goes, I tried to call you. He said, I was going to call you Friday, but I didn't get a chance to. And he said, I'm so, sorry to hear that. And I said, well, you know, it, you'll find somebody. And so Mark and I just started and, uh, yeah, it's been fun. I mean, gosh, you know, I, it isn't really a retirement job in the summer uh, because like last night I was at the ballpark till 10, 15 and 103 degrees oh, wow. weather. But, but, you know, Kyle, I get to, I get to see players. These, all these players are, are college players and some of them are coming out of high school, getting ready to go to college. And, you know, we've got a, a freshman red shirt from Purdue and I'm telling you, he will probably be in the big leagues one day, but he's just. You know, he, he's like a, a, he's like a deer right now, you know, like a a, fall, a little deer, like he's lanky and he doesn't really know, but Mark's like just watching him progress for these first, 10 games has just been amazing. And I love seeing that. And, you know, and I love the fact these guys live with people in their homes. We have host families. So these host families just love them and they keep relationships with them. And it's just a really cool experience. And, um, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it until I don't enjoy it anymore. And it's two months of fast and furious. And then it's, you know, 10 months of preparing, Um, but it's a lot like being an administrator. I still get to be around student athletes. I get to mentor interns, which is fun because, you know, I get to help them aspire for their next step after college. And we get to, you know, show them how, how it's done. And so they're getting a vast amount of experience. So it's just a, it's a win-win right now.
0: And and just another way, another great thing for the Cape Girardeau community, right? Like people come out and support these players and summer activities.
1: Oh, I mean, and, you know, we do something different. You know, we don't set our venue up anything like SEMO. You know, we have food trucks, we have, uh, uh we sell beer. Um, we have uh, bands that come in and play. Um, you know, we, we make it as, you know, as much as we can, we're trying to make it like a minor league a baseball experience, but it's prospect league. So, um, you know, it's just, it's fun. You know, people were out there last night and they're like, man, this is so cool. You know, and it was 100 and something degrees. And I said, well, and they said, just keep the beer cold. I said, we'll keep the beer cold. We can do that. So
0: <laughs> that's under your job description. If you list them out, that would be keep the beer cold, would be keep one the of
1: the beer them. cold. Yeah. Keep the beer cold and make sure that the food truck doesn't run out of uh, food. <laughs>
0: Very, both very, be equally important. Well, Cindy, I can't appreciate uh, say thank you enough for your, your time, but just I want to congratulate you on uh, all of the things you've done in your career and you keep doing and uh, the impact you've had uh, on the OVC, women's athletics, but just overall on the OVC in your career. And there's not a more deserving person who, who should be in the Hall of Fame. So I'm glad that finally happened for you this year.
1: All right. Thanks, Kyle. I really appreciate all you do.
0: That was my conversation with Cindy Gannon, I got to work with Cindy both as a graduate assistant while I was at SEMO in the early 2000s and then through my current role at the OVC. It was great to connect with her and get some stories I had never heard. If you have a suggestion for a future guest, reach out to us on Twitter at OVC Sports. As we celebrate our 75th anniversary, we want to hear from a variety of former coaches, players and administrators to get as many different perspectives on what has made the OVC so great over the years. Remember to find us on your favorite podcast platform and like and subscribe to help spread the word. You can also visit ovcsports.com/podcasts for more information. Until next time, take care.